We are continuing our series on humanity, what the Bible says about who we are as human beings. And uh, the Barbie movie has now uh, grossed the highest amount for 2023, 1.3 billion at the box office worldwide. Uh, lots about humanity in that movie, and uh, so we so we've uh, delved into that a little bit. Anyone want to know what the anyone know what the highest grossing movie for last year was? Anyone want to have a guess? Dave, Top Gun. Oh, that was second. What was number one? It was another another sequel? Avatar. Yes, Avatar: Way of Water. It was the second highest, two point three billion dollars in the box office last year. Uh, that has a lot to say about humanity as well. Uh, the premise of the movie is uh, you've got regular humans who uh, have regular bodies, but then if they you know, go into one of those scientific labs and, and go to sleep, their cognitive functioning is transferred into a different body, into one of the the Navi creatures, so they can go off to, the, to a different planet and do uh, wonderful things. And uh, in this scene, the main character is Jake, and the one of the the scientists guys says, "Welcome to your new body, Jake." So in the movie, it's still Jake. It's still him. He's just in a new body. And this is not merely the thing of movies these days. Technology is getting closer and closer to this. Uh, the new Apple headset is being released. It's a thing that looks like a ski mask. Uh, but that's coming out next year, Vision Pro. And one of the cool features on this headset is when you, you know, FaceTime, when you've got your phone and you can look at the other person or um, a video call of some description, uh, you've got the headset on. And so when you're FaceTiming someone, you can see them because they're holding your phone. But how do they see you? Because you're not holding up a phone with a camera, you've got a ski mask on. Well, thousands of tiny... Well, I don't know how many... Many cameras uh, take an image of your face and track your facial movements so that they will see a hyper-realistic avatar, end quote, of your face. So they won't see you, they'll see a representation of you during a video call. It costs a lot of money, so we won't need to be doing this anytime soon. <laughs> but some people will. What do we make all this, of all this? What do we make of this as we think about humanity? Is the real you your, your consciousness, your cognitive ability, your inner self? Do our bodies matter at all? You know, could we just transfer our bodies, uh, transfer ourselves into a different body? and still be ourselves? Or could we just exist as faces on screens to one another? And what are our bodies for in the first place? Can we just go without them? Well, all through the series, we've seen that God has made humanity and God has made us embodied. That's what we're looking at this week. And so we must turn to him for answers. So let's go back and hear from God in the Bible. Uh, we go back to Genesis every time because that's kind of the, the setup for all things humanity. 
And uh, we're going to go to one verse with a significant detail. Have a look at 2 verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Just have a look at what's happened here. Firstly, God made man as a body. He made man as a body. And then he breathed life into him. It's not like there was this consciousness first and the body was kind of encapsulated that consciousness. Now what God is saying here is, your body is you. Your body is you. So it's got something to say to Avatar. If you changed your body, like in Avatar, you would be a different you. If we lived a completely virtual life, then we'd be missing out on part of our humanity. Because we're not just who we are inside, our bodies matter. The Bible doesn't just say that we have bodies. He says that we are bodies. Our bodies form part of who we are. And so it's essential to who we are as human beings. We saw this clearly during lockdown, didn't we? Uh, firstly, we can thank God for Zoom and all its equivalents. How good, you know, how bad would lockdown have been if we didn't have Zoom and FaceTime and things like that? We still got to, to see one another and interact with one another. But why are we now all so sick of Zoom meetings? Well, it's because we recognize it's an insufficient human experience. We are bodies. That's part of who we are. And God has designed us to interact as bodily people to one another. And so you miss body language on Zoom. You miss bodily presence on Zoom. Of course, connecting with others online is wonderful, but it just doesn't compare to being physically present together. And even the company Zoom recognizes this. They're realizing that working from home has its limitations, so they're calling their Zoom workers back to the office, at least part-time. Because we're more than being faces on a screen. Our bodies matter. The ABC, in a recent article about loneliness, makes a similar point, uh, thinking about uh, loneliness and how technology has impacted that. Uh, it says, while... Uh, while technological developments such as video calls and phone apps are often credited with connecting people, what we think that they do, there's increasing evidence that they are no substitute for face-to-face -face contact. Interesting that they're finding those things. And if you don't believe the ABC, how about the Apostle John? Uh, he writes in his second letter in the Bible, he writes this to other Christians, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Paper and ink, FaceTime and Zoom are good, but they can only communicate so much. There's a distinct joy that can only be found when we're physically present with others because your body is you. Is this reality that God is talking about here, is that reflected in 
how you're operating at the moment, how you're relating at the moment. Because when we have an online option, we're still tempted to choose it, aren't we? For that conference or for that meeting or even for church. It's so much more convenient. You don't need to travel. You don't need to dress up. You don't need to worry about having no one to talk to. Or you don't need to worry about talking to someone who you find awkward or annoying. But you miss so much because we are embodied beings. Interacting with one another physically is what we're designed for. I don't get the whole you and you don't get the whole me. I've been challenged in this, uh, thinking through, is my attention being captured too much by faces online and the stories that they tell, rather than the people that I'm physically present with? So I'm going on another stint of deleting my social media apps off my phone, so I can just be a bit more consciously present with those who I'm physically with. And as we look to be a thriving church family, then for the gathering of God's people, if we are to thrive as fully human, fully human beings, fully human humans, then we need to gather physically. We need to gather together physically. That's why we hold uh, Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, so that we can gather physically in God's word. And something incredible happens when we gather physically. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, where two or three, I'm assuming more as well, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There is a special presence of Jesus reserved for when we are physically gathered together. Gathering physically matters because you are your body. But if our bodies are so important to us, we need to understand what they're for. We need to know what your body is for. What does God want from our bodies? Well, let's turn to our favorite bunch of misguided Christians in the Bible, the Corinthians. Uh, Turn back to uh, 1 Corinthians 6, page 1628, if you've got a church Bible. 1 Corinthians 6. Ah, the Corinthians. One day we'll do it in church and see all their, all their wacky ways. They have a distorted view of the body. Page 1628. They weren't thinking Christianly about what the body was for. And so if you have a look down at verse 12, uh, in the inverted commas are some slogans that were rolling around in either the Corinthian church or Corinth more, more generally in, in ancient Greece. Uh, things like in verse 12, I have the right to do anything. So their body is their own, they can do what they like with it. Or down in verse 13, you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. Saying, well, your stomach has a physical appetite. Feed it. And I think they were using that, uh, that, uh, um, that, what's the word? Argument, argument. They were using that argument, that logic for referring to sex. 
your body is designed for sex, so have sex with whomever you like. That was their thinking. The Corinthians saw their bodies as functional, as run on instinct. Let your cravings and appetites lead you with what you do with your body. But the Apostle Paul, who's writing, says there's more to your body than that. He counteracts those slogans. So back again, verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. There's a lot, of, there's a lot our bodies can do, but just because it's possible doesn't mean it's good or how God made us. And so halfway through verse 13, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Can you see what the body is for? The body is for the Lord. The body is to serve Christ and to have fellowship with Christ. And Paul gives two reasons why our bodies are fit, are worthy to serve the Lord in Christ. Firstly, firstly verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Our bodies are, are parts of Christ's body. We have a special connection with Jesus if our faith is in him. And then down in verse 19 it says... Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? If you know your Old Testament, that's an amazing statement. Remember in our um, last few Old Testament series, we've looked at the tabernacle and all the intricate detail that was given to the Israelites in how to build it rightly so that it will be a fitting place for God to dwell and all the intricate details of all the rituals that the priests had to do just to go inside, let alone make atonement for sin in the tabernacle. And all that was because of, this was the place where God dwelt, where you could meet with God, where you could have fellowship with God, where you could do business with God and experience him. Well, the tabernacle was replaced later by the temple in Jerusalem as the place where God dwelt with his people. What's, what's 1 Corinthians saying? Is that you now, your body now, is a better tabernacle than that tabernacle ever was. Your body is better than the temple that was built in Jerusalem because God's Holy Spirit dwells in your body if you trust in Jesus God lives in you by his Holy Spirit your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and so you might not think much of your body you might think it just keeps letting you down health wise or maybe it fills you with shame when you look at it. Or maybe it's a source of angst 
that you don't feel right in your own skin. Whatever you think of your body, if your trust is in Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege that is. God is dwelling in you. And so if that's the case, then we shouldn't just do what we, whatever we want with our body. Because the body is for the Lord, for him to dwell in and for you to use in his service. So a couple of passages from Romans on this. Uh, one on the negative side, one on the positive side. On the negative side, Romans 6 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So we're not to let our sin reign in our bodies. But positively, Romans 12 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, with all that God has done for us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the right way to be if God is dwelling in you. So what a statement that is. Paul's saying, whatever you have done to your body that might bring you shame or whatever has been done to you, to your body, which still haunts you. When you're in Christ, Jesus sees your body as holy and fit to serve God. Well, what, what might that look like? Uh, Sam Albury who has been very helpful on this topic, gives some suggestions. Uh, He goes, well, think about your feet. Think about your feet. Where could you go so that you serve the Lord? Who might you go to, to visit or to help? Or which places might you go to serve the Lord? Uh, what about your hands? What work could you do? In service of the Lord. Maybe your eyes. Is how we see the world. How God sees the world. It wasn't encouraging to hear from Anna. Seeing the world as. As she looks at people on campus. She sees people that are in need of Jesus. What about our ears? Are we listening to God's voice when his word is spoken to us? Because it comes up in 1 Corinthians. What about our sexuality? Are we using our sexual energy uh, to honor God and to love others? Uh, What about our thumbs? What about our thumbs? Oh, I use my forefinger to, to swipe on the keyboard. How can we use our thumbs and our words online to honor others? Uh, because we have the temptation, if we're, if we're interacting online, we have the temptation not to treat other people as made in the image of God. We might say things to other people online which we would never say to them face to face, whether we know the person or not. Uh, you know, for some, for those that we don't know, we may just have a small profile picture to go off. That's all we know of them, uh, at all, let alone bodily. And so as we comment online, we might dehumanize them, treat them as 
less than a human made in the image of God? How might we honour God with our thumbs as we comment online? We are to give our bodies to the Lord because our bodies are for the Lord. And all this is possible because of what Jesus did in his body. Have you reflected much on the body of Jesus? God the Son took on bodily form. Why is this so significant? Jesus in his body touched diseased people and made them well. He kissed people and welcomed them. He put his hands on his disciples to comfort them. And ultimately, his body was broken for our salvation. Listen how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says in Colossians, But now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Well, let's go to the Apostle Peter who says, He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It is through the bodily death of Jesus that brings us salvation and reconciliation with God and makes our bodies fit for his service. That's in his death, but also Jesus is still bodily. He still has a body. Don't know if you think about this with the Lord Jesus. Right now, as he was uh, raised from the dead, he wasn't raised as a spirit or a ghost, but embodied. And so Jesus is at the right hand of God in a body. And the embodied Jesus will return and raise our mortal bodies to immortality. If you're still in 1 Corinthians, have a look at verse 14. It says, by the power of God, by, sorry, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Or from our second reading, it says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, look at this, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See the promise for our bodies? He will transform our lowly bodies with all their frailty and sickness and hurt. But they'll be like his glorious body. Jesus' resurrected body will never see decay, will never get sick, will never contract a terrible disease. He's always holy and fit for God's presence. Jesus will transform your body like that. What a comfort that is. Uh, what a, you know, I'm in my 40s. Again, like Tom, I'm oldish but not that old. But <laughs> the injuries are starting to creep into my legs. Uh, oh, I know. Look, I, I know. 
just a little bit. I can still react. I'll be like some of you soon. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I can. Uh, I notice in my singing voice, actually, of, of all things, I can't sing as well as I used to, just because I'm a, that little bit older. I know there's more to come. Just, you know. <laughs> I can think that my best physical years are behind me. You might have the same thought, maybe, maybe even more than me, who knows? This promise means, this promise means, thank you for your sympathy, I really feel loved. This promise means our physical years, our best physical years are ahead of us. They're ahead of us. We will have eternity with physical bodies made glorious by the Lord Jesus fit to serve him eternally, perfectly. And so let me finish how 1 Corinthians finishes. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Jesus values you so much, including our bodies. He not only made our bodies, he has become a body to save our bodies by his blood. So we are not our own, we are his And so, my brothers and sisters, honour God with your bodies. Amen.